I really appreciate how comfortable our kids feel being a part of our services and being present in our services. Uh, it's definitely something that we have talked as leaders about how we can include them, not in a way that makes them props or that just uh, adds a little fun to the service, but so they feel they can engage us, they can engage the service, they can engage the family in a meaningful way uh, that they are not just uh, cast out for junior church, but uh, that I, I believe they go to junior church so they can learn at their level uh, and in a way that they can process better, uh, not so that they're not a distraction to us because this, they don't distract me. They, they could be running all over the place. I, for me personally, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't distract me to hear kid noise and to have them all over the place. And um, So... Uh, we are continuing in our Reaching Forward series. I told you uh, last week, if you were here or if you've watched it, um, that what we're doing through this series is uh, looking at reaching forward. And for that to happen, that means that uh, for some of us, uh, my argument might be for uh, many of us, uh, that's going to be a difficult process. It's going to be a journey um, to a, the place of reaching forward. It's not just simply like, oh, okay, I'll just start walking forward. Uh, for a lot of us, we've got a lot of baggage that we need to drop, that we need to release before we can do that. The idea of what we're talking about in this series comes from Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. In it, Paul says, not that I have already reached the goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Paul makes it clear that the first step to reaching forward, to what is ahead, to what God has for us that is ahead, is forgetting what is behind. Now, hopefully you're aware of this, you cannot intentionally forget things. I wish that I could. Uh, one of the things I love to do is I love to read. Uh, and, and I love to read like uh, Lord of the Ring type stuff. And so I, I really enjoy it and I really wish that I could forget some of those books so I could go back and read them again. And I could intentionally forget them and I can go back and read them again uh, because I love uh, reading and I love the storylines and I love all of that stuff. Um, so if we can't intentionally forget things, what is Paul saying here? Have you ever asked yourself the question of, what is Paul getting at? We can't forget intentionally, so what's the command here? What are we being called to by Paul? To, to, what is he saying that he does by forgetting what is behind? I don't think Paul had some supernatural ability to forget things at will. I don't believe that's a human thing. Uh, what he is talking about is leaving the past in a way which is as if we've forgotten it ever existed. That's what he's getting at. It's about dealing with the past in such a way that it no longer has any power over us. That's when we forget. 
It's, it's interesting that every now and then my brothers and I will get together and we start talking about like the, you know, back in the day and the things that happened. And I, things come to mind, some really dysfunctional things with my family come to mind and I'm like, oh, I forgot that. It no longer has power over me. It was healed and it no longer directs my life. I've also met people who in their 50s, 60s, and 70s will enter conflict or engage people in, in ways or when things aren't going their way, they bring up things from when they were a kid that happened to them. That's not forgotten. That's never been healed. That still directs the way they act and behave to this very day. And so what Paul is saying is, is not some supernatural ability to forget things, but it's walking through a process that you live your life as if it never occurred because it no longer has power over you. But there's a big, big difference, and you, we have to get this this morning. There's a big difference uh, in doing what Paul is saying and acting like something never happened. That's a big, big difference. And the church, I don't want to slam on the church, but man, we have gotten good at times at acting like something never happened. Or, and guess what? We're terrible actors. Because <laughs> we say we're acting like it never happened, but we treat people differently. And we allow roots of bitterness and things into our relationships and into the church because we think we're putting on a good act. We just don't want to be in the same room as that person. And we think that's a good act. And so what, what Paul is saying is not, oh, if somebody offends you, just act like it never happened. That is not at all what he is saying. For us to forget, like Paul says, the past must be fully acknowledged, fully healed, and fully released. And I, I, I don't want to call John out too much, but I just want to thank John for, for what he did in, in coming to me because my belief is there's no service, there's no procedure that we have that's more important than restored relationships. And so I greatly appreciate uh, even that, just not caring that there's a service going on and just coming and having that conversation because that's what we need. We need to err on the side of this needs to happen because this is what God has called us to. Service is not nearly as important as doing what God has called us to do. The procedure, the plan for this morning is irrelevant in what the Holy Spirit wants to do among us. And so whatever that process looks like to walk through and have something fully acknowledged, fully healed and fully released, don't allow procedure, don't allow previous belief systems, don't allow uh, political correctness, whatever you wanna call it, to stop you from engaging that process and getting to a place of healing. Because then and only then can we forget what is behind and reach forward to what is ahead. That's what Paul is getting at. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two, he says, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. Man, this is exactly 
what we're talking about this morning. When we went through communion and we're dealing with relationships and restoring relationships, man, God just gave us a nice example of it this morning and all that we're doing. What he's talking about here is the weight, and I want us to focus on that idea. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin. And so if we're looking at this, then there are some things that we're gonna refer to as a weight that aren't necessarily sin. They may be the result of sin, but they're a weight that is keeping us uh, and it's ensnaring us, as Hebrews says there, and we can't run the race because we're weighed down. So the first weight that we're gonna discuss in this series is the weight of shame. And it is a weight that many of us deal with. I think the first step to releasing the weight of shame is to understand how it is different from guilt. Because guilt and shame are two different things. And so let's look at the definitions. Shame is a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Now, you might have a different definition of, of shame. This is just what, you know, whether, whatever Webster's Dictionary or whatever uh, defines shame as, but I, th- I think it's a pretty, pretty good definition. We're gonna work from it this morning. Uh, painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Guilt is the fact of having committed a specified or implied offense or crime. That's guilt. See, one is a feeling and one is a fact. That's a big difference between what we're discussing this morning. You can be guilty and feel no shame. We know that to be true, uh, especially if you're not a believer. It's pretty easy to be guilty and feel no shame, have no problem with being guilty because you might have broken a law, but you feel no remorse or anything about it. You can also feel shame but not be guilty. Just because someone speaks something over us because we think that we've uh, broken uh, a crime or or, or broken a rule or or, uh, offended somebody in some way, we might not actually be guilty. There might not actually be an, an actual offense, but we can still feel the shame of that. So a big question I have for us this morning, is it ever okay or appropriate to feel shame? Is it ever okay or appropriate to feel shame? So often in the church, and I, I, I'm gonna guess I might have even taught this, we've said no, it's not okay to feel shame. That, that's not okay to be there, it's not okay. Shame, you should never feel shame. But I'm gonna argue that it is okay and at times appropriate to feel shame if we're working from this definition. I feel it is okay and appropriate at times to feel distress caused by the consciousness of wrong behavior. Our our sin should bother us. If we get to a place where our sin doesn't bother us, that is a scary place to be. But... And this is a huge part of this. We are not meant to carry our shame. It is okay 
And it is appropriate to feel shame at times, but it is never okay to carry it. You were not meant to carry that burden. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so this reality exists. We know this. If we are a believer, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so though we will feel shame, we are not meant to carry that around because we have been cleansed from all unrighteousness. If, and I would argue when, we experience shame, it should lead us to confession, not to helplessness. And too often, our shame leads us where? To helplessness. Oh, I'm a terrible person. I'm a horrible person. How could God ever use me? I'm a terrible example. I'll never be good enough for God. Jesus should be ashamed of me because of who I am and what I've done. One of the best examples of this is one uh, when, when someone is new to the faith and they've just come to know Jesus and they, I say, I don't even know where to start reading the Bible. Read Romans 7 and 8. It's almost always my encouragement. Re- read Romans 7 and 8 and keep reading it until it makes sense to you because it won't take long before in that new, like that newness of salvation, if you got saved like outside of being a kid, uh, then you know what it felt like when you first became a believer. And you're like, I'll never sin again. And like five minutes later, you're like, I'm a horrible person. And you read Romans 7 and 8. So let me just like let you in on what what he's saying here. It might be a little confusing. And so you might have to go back on this because I'm not gonna spend all day on it to fully grasp and understand this. But Romans chapter seven, verses 15 to 25. It says, for I do not understand what, am I, what I am doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this principle. When I want to do what is good, evil is with me. For in my inner self, I joyfully agree with God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this dying body? I memorized this a long time ago. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? I mean, do you hear the heart cry of him in this, in this place? Paul is saying, man, I am such a wretched person. How many times a day do we say that to ourselves? Do we experience that same shame 
feeling and statement. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I am myself, I myself am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh to the law of sin. You can't tell me when Paul, in verse 24, is talking about how wretched of a man that he is, that's not him experiencing shame. That's got all the markers of shame. That's the same shame we experience probably multiple times a day. It's the shame I experience, and I use this illustration a lot because it's a reality a lot, when someone does something I don't care for on the road in their vehicle. They don't drive the way I would want them to drive. Uh, I feel I am a wretched man because of what I encourage them to do uh, and to stop driving and uh, the thoughts that go through my mind. Uh, We experience shame, but notice where it leads him to Jesus. That's where he gets to. I love the, the two different verses there because it seems like he is at the lowest point that you could ever possibly get to. He is, I am a wretched man. I don't do what I want to do. I am at war and this is horrible and I'm worthless. But thanks be to God, he says. It drives him right into Jesus' arms because he knows who can handle it. His shame leads him to the only one who can carry the weight of our shame and not crumble under its weight. And Jesus is the only one. I promise you this morning, you cannot carry your shame and not crumble. You cannot carry your shame and lead a healthy, vibrant, joyful life. You can't do it. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how emotionally strong you think you are, how spiritually developed you think you are. You cannot carry your shame. And you, ne- you were never meant to. And Paul, if there was anybody who had like a righteous pedigree that could say, okay, I can carry my shame at least 10 feet further than you, it's Paul. As of the life that he led and, and the things that he had endured and, and what God had brought him through. And he acknowledges, thanks be to God. It is only because of Jesus that he can live his life. So though we will experience shame, as Paul mentions in chapter eight, verse one, it is never from God. He says in the next portion in Romans eight, one and two, therefore, no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Amen, and hallelujah to that. This is where Paul gets to. After realizing how shameful he is and how wretched he is, he says, thank you, Jesus, for who you are. And then he acknowledges and he he speaks out against the shame that there is no condemnation. And man, if we could learn to do this in our lives, if we could learn to feel the weight of our shame, let it drive us to the arms of Jesus and then speak out the truth of God that there is no condemnation in those who belong to Christ Jesus. What a healthy pattern for a believer 
to acknowledge, man, my sin is ugly and it is present and it's gonna destroy me. But thank you, Jesus, that it's not. And now I'm gonna take another step and I'm gonna say, no enemy, I won't continue to carry this shame because there is no condemnation for me because I'm found in Jesus. We are forgiven and we are free. And that is the truth of the gospel. God, unlike us, is able to forget our sin. But let's look at what the word says about this. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. It says, it is I who sweep away your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. So let me ask you another question. Does God actually lose the knowledge of our sin? Is forget here meaning that God willfully removes the knowledge of our sin from his mind? If you've been in church long enough, you've probably been taught this, that he actually legitimately removes the knowledge from his mind. And reading it in English, that's what we would normally get to. Now, I'm not gonna answer that question for you. You can go figure it out on your own, okay? But I'm gonna argue that I don't think that's what it's saying, that it removes the knowledge of our sin from us. I think when Jesus is standing with Peter and he's asking him, will you feed my sheep? How many times does he do that? Three times. How many times did Jesus deny him? Three times. There's a reason there. Jesus didn't forget that, that Peter denied him. He restores him through that process. I don't think he loses the knowledge of sin, uh, but you can study that on your own. I encourage you to go and, and learn the words that it's talking about with forget and all of that. But I think just like in Philippians, that God is saying according to who he is and where he stands, our sin is fully acknowledged, fully healed, and fully released because it is paid for by the blood of Jesus. And so no longer will God interact with us in a way that is as if our sin existed because it has been wiped clean. It has been eradicated by the blood of Jesus. And so I don't think that God loses the knowledge of it, but it certainly doesn't change the way he acts toward us or the way that he views us because it has been fully released through the process of what Jesus went through. Romans chapter five, verse one says, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks to the wonderful grace of God, he never views us as shameful, but as righteous. That's our identity. As uh, Doretta was encouraging the kids to understand is uh, the, the word of God is like a mirror. It's one of the things I pray over my kids just about every night is that they will seek their identity from Christ, not their own accomplishments and not from this world, but from who he is and what he speaks over them. When they look into the word of God, reflected to them should be their true self. Statements like this should speak louder than the uh, blemish on their face or the things that a, a kid said to them at school or what church people might have said that they should do or shouldn't do or, or the shame that some other individual might have tried to put on them that they will look into the word of God and their identity will come from that, that it will be the mirror 
that reflects who they are and who they should be. So we will experience shame, but it's never from God. It is a result of sin, and it comes from sin, not from God. Does that mean then that we can live however we want because Jesus is gonna carry the bag anyhow? He's gonna carry all the weight so we can just do whatever we want. Doesn't matter, we can sin all we want because we don't have to carry the weight and we don't have to pay the bill. Romans chapter six, verses one and two says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? I mean, the word of God is so clear on these things. I don't know if you've ever been out with somebody and, and you say that you're gonna cover the bill and then they just order like crazy, like it's lobster and filet mignon for them. And it's like, I'm sorry, but that's a bit of an abuse uh, to what we just discussed. Uh, I don't appreciate that very much. Why? Because well, just because I'm footing the bill doesn't mean you can, you can have whatever you want. I just meant I wanted to bless you in this way. And so often, especially, I feel like it's, it's a growing thing in our culture that people say, well, if Jesus paid for it all, then we can do whatever we want. And the word of God says, no, 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 no. That's not at all what it is. Because a, a respectful individual, if they find out you're paying, they might choose the chicken option instead of the beef because, well, it's cheaper and I don't wanna inconvenience you. But if you're in really deep relationship with someone and you have that, that, that closeness of relationship and they say, well, I'm gonna foot the bill, you order exactly what you had intended to order because you know that that offer was not meant to make you order less, that you can just be who you are in their presence. And that's God saying, yes, I want you to want more. I want you to, to want to grow with me, to want to live as, as righteous. We're in close and deep relationship. You don't have to try to act a certain way. You be who you are. Grow in that. Grow in the identity I've spoken over you. And that's good enough. Our lives should reflect the identity that Christ has spoken over us and that identity is righteous. And if we're living out of the natural identity that Christ has spoken over us, we won't want to sin. It won't be on our mind like, oh, I can do whatever I want. He's footing the bill. We will want to be that identity. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses one to two says, therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced shameful secret things, not walking in deceit or distorting God's message, but commending ourselves to every person's conscience in God's sight by an open display of the truth. I believe in all sincerity that for someone to seek to abuse the grace of God it means they've never really experienced that grace. They don't really know what that grace is because when you really experience the grace of God, it puts you on your knees and you are just in awe of how much God would love us, that he would give us things we do not deserve. Remember, we defined the difference between grace and mercy a few weeks back. Grace is getting things we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting things we do deserve. 
And so the grace of God, it, it bestows things to us that we had no right to ever hope to receive. But that doesn't mean that if we sin, every time we sin, we abuse the grace of God. I don't think that's, that's what this is saying at all. But to intentionally lead a life of sin, thinking that the grace of God covers it, I think is an abuse of his grace. In uh, Romans chapter six, he says, should we just sin so that grace can, can, can grow, that grace would be bigger and, and better? He says, absolutely not. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? This is where I base my belief. Uh, I'm one of those individuals who does not believe that you can lose your salvation, uh, and this is one of the verses that, that solidifies it for me. He says, how can we? Meaning like we, we can't live in sin. If we know the grace of God, if we have experienced the grace of God, how could we ever live in sin? And I don't think it's possible because we have met him. We are in relationship with Jesus. And so we cannot just do whatever we want. We are drawn into a deeper, closer relationship with Jesus. I believe to experience his grace births the desire that Paul is talking about in Romans 7 and 8 when he says, I, I don't do what I want to do. Uh, and to me, that, that evidence alone is enough to know that we are a believer because there's now a desire to honor God. There's a desire to be righteous. Yes, you will always experience the war. The battle will always be there till the day you die. But that battle is a good sign that you know Jesus. And the enemy will try to use that to shame you to say, oh, you struggle with, why, do you, why are you still struggling with sin? And he said, because I'm still stuck in this body, that's why. I'm still stuck in this dying body, that's why. And so I will continue to struggle with it, and I will continue to be desperately dependent on Jesus and on the Holy Spirit until the day I die, because there's a battle that wages within me. I think it's exactly what Paul is getting at in Philippians chapter three, verses 18 and 19. It says, for I have often told you and now say again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. Those that have not experienced grace, their glory is in their shame. And I'll let you process what that means for uh, an individual. For their, that's where their glory is. That's what they pat themselves on their back for is their shame because they're focused on earthly things. And it says that they're enemies of the cross. Not just like, oh, well, they just don't, you know, they just need another uh, Sunday school lesson. So they're enemies of the cross to be focused on the earthly things, to glory in the shame is to be an enemy of the cross because when you truly understand what the cross is and, and what Jesus did, there's no glory in your shame. Your shame leads you to Jesus. You don't, you don't pat yourself on the back and walk around saying, oh, I'm so messed up, I'm so, and I've met people, church people who are like that, who, who it's almost as if they celebrate how horrible they are. And it's like, man, your eyes are on you. They're not on Jesus. I mean, I get sometimes what they're trying to do, but that's not your identity. 
Your identity is what Jesus has spoken over you and what he's done. So what can we take away from what we talked about today? What a recap, shame is inevitable in our lives. You will experience shame as you journey with Jesus. Shame is never from God. It is always the result of sin. And we should avoid the root of shame, which is sin at all costs. So a few questions for us to process as we think about this message. What do you still experience shame about? Because I haven't met many people that have a completely shameless identity. It's like they they do really good, but every now and then the enemy just hits them with that dagger and there's shame that it's brought up because of a past mistake, because of a past decision that they made, because of something that happened either pre-Christ, pre-salvation, or even post-salvation. The enemy tries to bring it up and that shame just comes right back. And that weight gets thrown back on our shoulders. And we might have released it to Jesus at one point, but it comes right back and it gets placed on our shoulders again. Remember, I told you, forgiveness, whether it's to another person or to ourselves, very often needs to be repeated again and again and again and again. It's not a one-time thing for most, especially big offenses. It's not like, well, I, I gave that to Jesus 20 years ago. Yeah, you might have. And then it got placed right back on your shoulders because of your shame. And so you give it back to Jesus and it gets placed on your shoulders and you give it back to Jesus. And it's a constant driving us into the arms of Jesus just like what Paul said. From what circumstance or sin do you still echo Paul's cry in Romans chapter seven, verse 24? Oh, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this dying body? My guess is many of us will not make it through the rest of the day before we echo this exact thought and sentiment. Some of us are dealing with it right now. We're saying if if he only knew, if these people sitting in these pews only knew what I've done, they wouldn't even let me in these doors. If they just knew the stuff I've looked at, the stuff I've done, the things I've said, the people I've hurt, if they only knew, I'm a wretched man. It's time you left that behind and you reached forward to verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's one step. Wouldn't it be awesome if it was that easy? to just feel the crippling and overwhelming weight of shame and just say the words, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Remember, for us to forget what is behind, to be able to say, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord and there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. It means that our sin must be fully acknowledged, fully healed, and fully released. What does it mean that our sin must be fully acknowledged? It means that we have to address it for real. We have to call it what it is. We have to be honest about the sin and what it was. Not downplay it, 
not make up excuses, not speak uh, in ways that make it seem less than what it was. We acknowledge it for what it was. And then we seek healing from that offense, whether that's a conversation, whether that's asking forgiveness, whether that's giving forgiveness, whatever that process of, of healing requires. If, if you're in this place this morning or you're watching and, and you're feeling like, man, this is, I don't know how to get there. There's a, one book I love it's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, fantastic book by Pete Scazzaro, love it. Another one is Soul Care. And if you're wondering how to get healing on some of these issues, there are, there are some fantastic resources out there because where you wanna get to is where it is fully released. And you cannot release something until it's been healed. It will, you will drag it behind you like a dead body until it is fully healed. And this, in most cases, it's gonna be a process. It could require counseling, professional help, and it might be a really lengthy process. And that's okay. There is nothing wrong with contacting a professional. I promise, well, I, I don't know if I can say that. I would say, I was gonna say, if I have a physical problem, I'm gonna go see a professional, but I'm probably not, because I'm not very bright. Um, I'll probably deal with it until it's like a really big problem, and then I'll go to a professional. But, uh, most of us, if we're sensible, if we have a broken leg, we're gonna go see somebody who knows how to heal a broken leg. And for whatever reason, there's been a stigma over mental health and things like that that we can't go and, and seek professional help for that. Well, that's kind of silly. You go to a professional who knows how to heal that thing, who knows how to walk you through a process of healing. I, well, I broke some toes when I was riding my dirt bike one time and one was just kind of dangling there and I figured I should probably go to the hospital for this one. I'm not gonna wait that one out. And so I went to a foot doctor who knew how to walk through a process of healing. And we walked through a process of healing until my foot was fully healed. And for some of us, we need to reach out to a professional that can help us walk through that process. Now, I would argue uh, you should look for a Christian uh, person who has that perspective to, be, to seek healing because I think that, that you can only get a partial healing without Jesus uh, you'll never actually get fully healed without the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus. That doesn't mean that someone who's not a Christian can't help you in that process, but there are good Christian counselors in our area. And that might be part of your process. That, that might be something you need. If your marriage is struggling, there is no shame in reaching out to a professional to help you in that place. There is nothing shameful or weak about that. For the same reason that I've still struggle with my pride a little bit when I'm physically hurt and I don't want to go to the doctor because in my mind there's still a stigma of like that makes me weak to go to the doctor. That's not very intelligent. There's no, such, there's no weakness in going to seek healing for something that's broken or that's not healed. So it could require professional help. It could require very difficult conversations and opening up old wounds but here's the thing, you might be afraid to open an old wound because of what might come out, but it was in there. You just couldn't see it. And so you might be, oh, I don't know what's gonna happen if I open that wound. I'll tell you what will happen if you don't is it'll continue to fester, it'll continue to affect your health negatively, and it will ruin you. So open that old wound. Make sure it's fully healed and fully released.
it will most definitely require the power of the Holy Spirit to enter that situation, that circumstance. You will need to engage God in that place. It will require an intimate understanding of the mercy and the grace of God as you walk through that process. And it will require, and it should require us, engaging the community of believers around us. That's a part we're not great at. We will suffer alone forever instead of reaching out to those around us and letting them know, I'm, I'm hurting. I am struggling. I need this. And when you have a family that is good at that, that is good at saying it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. That is such a healthy place to be. And I hope that our family here as Dubois Alliance, I hope that we will grow in this area of being able to be okay when others are not okay and then helping them to walk through that process and engaging them and surrounding them and loving them that when someone shares with us how they're not okay, we don't immediately come at them with scriptures that we think fix that. But we're just able to just sit in that place with someone, wrap our arms around them and, and help them get to Jesus. Not just jam our own beliefs and ideas down their throat until they feel better. We cannot walk this alone. We were never meant to. If you read the New Testament, there is an overwhelming abundance of community language. The we, the us that is in the New Testament. It's very clear that we were meant to walk this journey together. Are you willing to enter that process to reach forward and thrive in your relationship with Jesus? Or will you avoid the process, stay where you are, and just survive? It really is a question of thriving or surviving. Some of us, let's be honest, we're gonna be okay with surviving. We've gotten by this long. Why enter the process? But others of us, I hope, I pray, we will want to thrive. We will want that joy in our marriages, in our families, in our church family, in our community. And so we will enter whatever process is required to thrive. Let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning that we would be desperately dependent on you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray whatever you're speaking into the hearts of the people listening here, that God, they will be willing to enter this process, knowing that you go with them every step of the way. And Lord, I pray that you equally make it clear for those that want to just survive, that don't wanna walk through that process, that want to stay on, on this side of their wounds, that you will not stay there with them, that they stay there outside of the will of God without the protection and the blessings that are provided to the believer, that it's only through those dark valleys and those, those wounds and those processes and that journey that you will meet us and bless us and, and that we will thrive. And Lord, I pray that each one of us, whatever journey that, whatever the journey looks like uh, right now, whatever dark places we engage in the future, that Holy Spirit, I pray that we will have the humility 
to say yes to enter that process, to reach out to a professional, to, to reach out to a pastor, to, to have conversations with an elder or a deaconess or somebody that we trust to say, I am hurting and I don't know where to go. Will you help me? And that we, your children, would not offer the human wisdom that first comes to our mind, but we will bring them to you. That we will journey with them into your presence and we will help them experience again the light and the joy of your presence. Lord, I thank you for this process. I thank you for your word that we can feel shame and that it won't ruin us if we then lean into your arms and hand all of our weights and our cares and our concerns to you and that there is no condemnation for those of us who are found in you. Bless us as we go out, Lord. Bless us in the process, in the pain, in the hurting, and in the healing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. have a great week.